I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's episode of Failed Critics. I'm Steve Norman, joined this week by James Diamond. Hello. And Jerry McCauley. Hello. But not Owen Hughes, he's off sick. Sack him. Exactly. So we'll be yeah. foregoing the quote quiz this week because he's bad enough as it as it goes. We don't want him to fall even further, further behind due to an unfair advantage. Yeah, it wouldn't be that unfair, though, we, we, because we, he, he doesn't answer them when he's here. We, so. I know, but I'd rather have him fail on his own merit. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to give him something to moan about. No. Yeah, that's true. No. Or this week, I'll just do something from uh, as Night of the Living Dead or something that only him was bound to get, and it would really annoy oh. him. And then you would have got the point. Yeah, yeah. I'm not having any of that. Yeah, no quote, Chris. Yeah. Um, we've got some movie news, or rather less movie news, more of movie rant. Yeah, um, I'm launching a campaign. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, those of those listeners uh, who also read the site failedcritics.com may have seen this week that I, I posted what I'd like to call an editorial in my fancier uh, delusional mind. Um, basically, last week, um, you probably remember that we spoke about Taken 2 having a 12A certificate and we had fears and worries. I think it's fair to say that all, all, all four of us had fears about that. And, um, the first previews have come in. Some very respected, uh, bloggers and reviewers that I, I kind of trust and have a lot of time for have basically said that our fears were exactly right. Um, the main criticism seems to be that the fight scenes in Taken 2 have just been butchered, uh, to remove kill shots. Um, to get this film ready for a 12A. Um, one of the phrases I heard um, from, I think it was someone connected with Den of Geek, said it was like, um, it was the Den of Geek review that said it was like Liam Neeson was hugging people to death and maybe that's just a new power he's got in the fact that he'll be grappling with someone in a fight scene and then the next bit they're dead and you don't actually see anyone get killed. Um, now I've got Go and read the blog to hear my full argument about this, but I just want to quickly put it into words for those people who only listen to the podcast. My main issue, and this is the reason I'm saying now, we will not be reviewing Taken 2 on this podcast for this reason that's coming up. It's not because they've softened a film that I wanted to see and I want to see loads of violence and swearing, although obviously I do from a personal point of view. My main issue with this is the fact that they've made a film which the director, producers, writers, star, everyone has signed off on as the film. Okay, let's call that film A. Then what they've done is they've taken a knife to it, taken a cleaver to it, uh, you know, blunt instrument to it by the sound of it, uh, and butchered it to make film B, which they know is a lesser film. They know it doesn't work as well. They know it's not as good because it's not the film they made in the first place. And they are then releasing film B, to everyone because they want to attract the 12A certificate. Now, my argument here is what they, they have knowingly released a film that they know is worse than it should be. And they're still asking us to pay the same amount of money. And then their next step will be when they release it on DVD to act like they're doing us a massive favor by giving us the version, the uncut version that they wouldn't let you see in the cinema, which I'm certain will be the phrase they use which is even more absolute bullshit. Um, and then asking us to pay again. And I'm just basically saying, enough. 
I'm not, I'm not having that. I'm not going to be part of that. All four of us spend our money to watch these films, okay? And I, I've spoken to Owen. I know Owen's still going to spend his money to go and watch Taken 2, uh, and that's totally up to him. Um, but the fact is we don't get to see these films for free. We are cinema fa- we're film fans um, who spend our own time and money to go and watch these films, and I'm sick of being treated like that, and I think more film fans should be sick of being treated like that. The other issue I've got here is just the pure morality of targeting 12-year-olds for this kind of film. I also think that's a bit wrong as well, but ultimately my main issue is with, as a consumer, being completely ripped off here, and that's why we're not going to be reviewing Taken 2. I've taken a big, grand editorial decision. I don't know what you two think about it. Well, I think me and Steve are both well-known for being thoroughly pissed off at George Lucas for all his revisionism and <laughs> stuff like that. It's, it's a similar kind of thing, you know, to trying to exploit the customer by releasing various versions of the same film. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's obvious caveats like um, the Redux of Apocalypse Now was sort of a preferable version and Blade Runner for instance had director's cuts but it's nothing like that this, this isn't one of those situations where no, there's, there's a director's cut it's, it's just a pure commercial decision to try and bring younger kids in and get a wider audience there's, there's director's cuts and extended editions that make a film about four hours long which they know that yeah. no one would go to the cinema to watch because it's four hours long which is fair enough then bringing it on out on DVD where people can watch it in two or three sittings if they want or you know or have got time or the patience to sit down for four hours, it's fine. But changing a film specifically to target a wider audience and therefore to rake in more money and kind of ruin the integrity and the quality of a film is just stupid and pathetic. And and, I, and also, I, I, I'm not even that bothered. I'm anno- I'd be annoyed. I wouldn't even be that bothered if they'd started off at the beginning to make Taken 2 a 12A film and they'd filmed and cut a film which fitted into that. But no, they made a film and then they started butchering it to but make who's, it 12 Whose who's decision that's, that's was this? I've, it... I've got no issue with people chasing the 12 Although I do think it's sad that they have resorted to that and there's some excellent films out there that have said, yeah, Dread, for example, that they said, we're going to make a violent adult comic book film here, actually, yeah. And they stuck to those principles and re- re- rewarded with a really great fun film, I thought. Um, but it's the it's the sheer fact that they have got a version of this film sat on a shelf that they know is better, and they're asking us to pay the same amount of money for a version they know is inferior. To be fair, that's the issue I've got. Film as a fifteen, I thought was was cutting it fine as a fifteen. You know, it was mm. for a fifteen, it's quite violent. So yes, you're going in the same vein. It doesn't sound like Taken Two is much of a departure from the original. It sounds like it's more more or less the same thing. You know, it doesn't sound like it's it's going off in some crazy direction. It's pretty much Liam Neeson breaking necks and kicking ass. I mean, that's, it's not, it's oh. not doing anything radical. So oh. it's going to be at the high end of the 15 anyway if they want to keep it in the mm. same thing. So it just annoys me. Why, oh. Out of interest, on the, 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 you know, the people who make the ratings for films. Yeah. I forget the, the BBFC. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. I can't remember how many Bs was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> on their website, have they got a list, you know, of um, criteria they for what rating, they, for, you know, like what that, each film has to do or not do to qualify for it's a... not so much like that. It's done on a film-by-film film basis, but it's really good. Every film that they do a certificate for, they do release a report as to why they've given that certificate. Mm. And we're still waiting for the Taken 2 one to be made public. But what they have admitted is that at least three scenes were cut. And it was because the studio approached them, asked them for advice on how to make it a 12A. Mm. Um, it wasn't the BBFC going, you've got to cut these scenes. The BBFC probably would have happily given that film a 15, but the studio went, how do we make it a 12A? And they, in their, you know, just did their job and said, well, if you did this, 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 you know, less blood, less kill shots, that less swearing, I'm assuming, that will make it a, a 12A. Um, just, just to finish us off with a nice alien reference, the alien report from the, the censors is really interesting. Um, the producers were kind of angling for a 15 on Alien as well. They would try yeah. to find out what they needed to do to make it a 15 or whether they would sneak it in as a 15. And the census actually said, this will lose a lot of power if we make it a 15. And part of its appeal is that it's terrifyingly scary for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be an 18 and we can't allow 15-year-olds to see it. 
um, yeah. particularly when you realise what the underlying message of the film was. So they are really interesting, those census reports, if anybody wants They're to They're great. Them. There's some brilliant ones. And you, uh, I do love the BBFC website because it's got some great uh, reports from things like The Exorcist and The Clockwork Orange. They are fascinating to read, actually. Anyone who's a little bit interested in film history um, and also the idea, you know, looking at the idea of censorship. And I do think the BBFC get a bit of a bad rap because they're seen as the bad guys a lot of the time. But the fact is the studios are ultimately complicit and most of the time it's studios asking how can we get a certificate rather than the BBFC telling them to cut things. And it's only at the very extreme end, things like um, the Human Caterpillar series and things like that, where the BBFC is generally saying you have to cut this. Is that the human centipede? That's it. Here we go. Again, these kids' <laughs> books that I'm reading. <laughs> I'm sure I've made that very same mistake on this podcast I'm, I'm, as well. I'm still confused over the free boob rule in in Total Recall, which is a 12A. Yes, you know, one one pair. It's not one pair, but it's not two pairs. So where does it fall? And that I don't know how they got that through. It's just. So what, I think we should phone up the the BBFC and get an actual quote on that. Commodore said he watched it with his fairly young son, and he had to like turn to him and go, "They're not all like that." Yeah, that's not how it all works. It would make quite an awkward conversation, you know. But... Yeah, yeah, God, I, I wouldn't want that to be my first birds and the bees conversation with a child. No. Anyway, what has everyone been watching this week? Uh, Jerry, why don't you start us off? Okay, this week. I caught up on a film that I've been meaning to watch for a long time. Um, came out in 2005. So it's a French film, but it's directed by Michael Haneke. I think I can pronounce that right. Mm-hmm. Who is yeah. German, but has done a lot of work in French cinema. Uh, it's Hidden or Caché, as it's the original title. Um, I don't really know what, what to say about it, because it's kind of one of those films where nothing really happens. There's no resolution. So... It isn't done in a sort of standard way. Basically, there's a guy played by Daniel Swale, whose name I've probably just butchered, um, who presents a, a TV uh, bookshop, and he starts getting these uh, um, packages to his door, which are videotapes of, of him and his family and his house being filmed. And, you know, they're secretly docked on the street, and little weird drawings as well. The, the meaning isn't quite clear about those initially. And he doesn't have any idea who's sending in these things or what, whether it's threatening to his family or what. Obviously, he's a bit worried. His wife gets worried, who's played by Julia Binoche, who's fantastic as ever. Um, it's kind of a mystery, and the mystery sort of unravels, but there's there's, there's no resolution. It's it's not the kind of thing you you, you don't like the characters too much in, in every way. They're, they're not, you know, it's very French. That's the best way I can describe it. The, the characters aren't particularly likable. Um, there's no real resolution. It's quite um, reserved and sort of introspective a lot of the time. I mean, if you like that kind of film, this is fantastic. You know, I happen to like this kind of film. It's very European style. Um, and you, ha- you it makes you kind of question everything that you're seeing on the screen. Like, you, you're asking it. You're asking questions about everything you're being shown. And, you know, Hanek's direction in this is absolutely fantastic. I love the style of it. There's a lot of moving camera. Um the lighting is quite natural a lot of the time, which, which makes it really realistic, but particularly with the moving camera. And you, you're always under the impression that everything that you are being shown, the director specifically wants you to see this exact thing. And particularly when the camera moves, it's, it's a definite deliberate thing from the, from the director. Do you know, it's that kind of feeling. Um, the direction is fantastic. I mean, students of film will probably study this loads because there's a lot more than I can really get out of it. But, um, it's it's really interesting. It's really fascinating. The ending, I have no idea what to make of it all. And when I went online afterwards, I think much like Steve with the various time travel films, looking for explanations afterwards, it's just left me even more confused. So, um, answers on a postcard if anybody thinks they know, you know, the, the heart of the mystery and things like that. But it, it's very interesting. Really well performed, really well observed. The direction's fantastic. There was one downside to it, though, which is, it's one of my pet hates this because I watch a lot of Spanish films as well um, the translation left out a lot of things like swear words used for em- emphasis so there was you know there's the word uh, puta in French 
um, she said these these booth on tapes and they just skipped that over entirely and there was you know entire phrases where he, he, he said uh, the French were all, all this shit um, and it's normal now and things like that and, and they just skipped out entirely and I, I hate that they sort of paraphrase the dialogue and try and tell you what they want the director and the, the people who've edited this film and the people who've made it and the scriptwriter have, have put that in for a reason and the, you know it's, it's been left in for a reason the, the actors maybe if, even if they've improvised it have said those things for a reason don't, mm. don't skip it out don't take it out for me it's not your fucking decision if you translate it it's the directors if they want me to know what that that's being communicated then let me know so that was my, my pet hate about it I hate translations that cut little snippets out and try and paraphrase things a fantastic film. I don't know if anybody else has seen it. It was brilliant, brilliant film. It's got subtitles. There's no way I've seen it. I I think I have seen it, but I can't remember it at all. It's one of those where I I think I saw it late one night uh, at a cinema in in 2005, um, and and I just I cannot remember anything about it. And I've got a real block on that, but it's so. But I've heard, yeah. Obviously, Michael Haneke has um, got a lot of praise for uh, Amour, which has been out this year, which did very well at Cannes, and we should be able to see in the next couple of months. So I'll, I'm going to go back and revisit it um, based on your review there. But it's really weird. I honestly can't remember a thing about it, but I'm sure I've seen it. I'm, I'm going to go and look at a lot of his other work. I mean, the guy's been working since... I think the late seventies in, in German TV, but he's been making films for since the nineties, I think. And, and I really want to find out and see more of his work. He, Amor, as he spoke about, has got a lot of praise. I think the White Ribbon um, yeah. a few years ago won uh, quite a lot of critical acclaim. He, he's a really interesting director. It was really the thing that was really overwhelming about the film. Actually, was just how good. The direction was all the way through. I was just saying, bloody hell, this is this is an absolute masterpiece of of, of filmmaking. And I think yeah. you know, there's a lot of people who will have seen this and got bloody hell, like, why why is it taking you this long to to watch my Michael film? But it, it's fantastic, really, really good film. But not particularly entertaining. It's not set out to entertain or you know tell you something. It's not moralising. It's just like this is the thing. It's happened and it happens like this and. And that's it. I mean, the first scene, this might jog your memory, James, the first scene is five minutes of a single shot and nothing happens. Um, it's just a shot from the street of a house and then the credits slowly uh, appear on the screen um, and gradually fill the screen up. And it sounds familiar. And then you hear people start talking over it and then you, you slowly realise that this is the videotape that they're watching of them being watched. So... It's, it's just such an unconventional start, you know, to have five minutes of basically just a street. It was a bit, it reminded me a bit of, um, when I, when I first started watching it. Remember, uh, La Quattro Volte that Owen was talking about where yes. it was just goat herders and things. I thought, oh, it's not one of these films, is it? It's just going to be staring at a street for five minutes. But it was, it was really interesting because, you know, quite unconventional, but absolutely fascinating. I really highly recommend you watch it. Cool. Um, have you seen anything else this week? Um, other than the Blu-ray of Empire Strikes Back, no. But that was excellent, obviously. Didn't get round um, to... Talking uh... about the Blu-ray of Empire Strikes Back, have you seen that they've there have been um, uh, basically HD upscaled versions of the original trilogy have been released onto the internet? Fan, fan, sort of. Fan, yeah. fan special yeah. edition, yes. I've not gone around to seeing it yet. Um, just Google it and you'll find it. Um, I can't it's, it's don't the really original say too version. much more than that. It's the original, yeah, because I watched the original theatrical Star Wars the other day. Because I've got, I think I've got the mid noughties DVD release, which comes with Lucas's tinkered versions. But they've, I've, I've got on DVD the theatrical versions, uh, which are the only ones I ever watch. Um, but yeah, the, I, there are now HD versions of the original theatrical versions out there. The, the Blu-rays of the original trilogy just do look fantastic. And I mean, I, I'm not too bothered. I know we're getting off topic and back to George Lucas again. I'm not too bothered about him adding sort of little CGI things here and there. It doesn't really bother me. It's just a complete... What about him changing who shoots first, though, in the cantina bar? Well, it's always hand shoots first, though. Anything I know, but that. he's changed it. Well, he's a dick. 
this is what I mean. It's great, it, look, what it, we want is Blu-ray versions yeah. of the original films that were in the cinema without any of the dicking around. But it's, it's things like and that. Someone's done it. It's things like exactly. that. It's things like that with um with the hand shoots first, and it's things like just completely fucking up the the prequels and making them about tax and trade routes and things. It just Idiot. Oh, we've um, set Steve yeah. off again. I'm no, gonna... I'm off. I'm off it now. Uh, I'll go on to what I've watched. Me and James have both seen Avengers Assemble on Blu-ray this week, the new yeah. release. Yeah. So we'll uh, come on to that later. But I've also went to the cinema to see The Watch. I finally got round to seeing it after saying for weeks that the trailer looked okay, and despite some fairly mixed, uh, mostly negative reviews. Seventeen percent on Rotten Tomatoes, mm. if I remember correctly. Not good. No, no, I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, out of the three comedies we've seen this year, I thought it was better than A Dictator and better than Ted, or funnier anyway. It didn't. Mm-hmm. It didn't. You know, obviously, uh, it's the well-publicized film about the neighborhood watch um, in a small town in America, and aliens try to invade, starring Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn. Um, Jonah Hill and your man from the IT crowd Richard Ayani that's the one um, but yeah it's, it's funnier than a dictator and it hasn't got a message to try and ram down your throat um, I thought it was consistently funnier than Ted which I didn't think was too bad but you know it wasn't great it didn't live up to the hype um, the plot's fairly good it does have um, some nice references to other sci-fi films in there as well doesn't sort of overdo it with any kind of stupid slapstick humour. Yeah, I think 17% uh, and similar sort of aggregate reviews Mm. on different review sites is a bit harsh. There's definitely worse ways to spend an hour and a half. I'm I'm intrigued by the the, um, comic dynamic, Steve, because obviously I'm assuming Ben Stiller plays a straight man. You know, he's very much... I'm assuming he's in kind of... uh, or what would we say, meet the parents type yeah, uh, that's, a mode there. That's, a, that's um, fair to... What about Vince Vaughn? Okay, is Vince Vaughn also a straight man, or is Vince Vaughn doing his usual, which I loved when he was younger and got quite tired of it, though, his usual won't shut the fuck up type acting? Or Speaking is... of which, just to jump in, I forgot that I did watch Old School as well. The other night, which was... Oh, yeah. I watched Old School. He's kind of like his character in Old School. He's kind, yeah, kind of like a... a more adult version of his character from old school. Not adult in the sense that he's shagging and swearing everywhere, but like more grown up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he he's not he's not the best character in it, but he's by far not irritating. Okay. And what about Jonah Hill and uh, Richard Ode? Um Richard Ode's not not on screen for much of it. His character is quite important to the plot, without giving too much away, because yeah. even though it's a comedy, there is certain spoilers in it. But he's, and you know, some yeah, he is funny in it, but he's not sort of the central character. Uh, Jonah Hill is, you know, pretty much as he is in every other film, um, probably written in that style as well, but still quite yeah. funny. So is it is it one that I should rent then, Steve? Uh, rent or watch when it's you know gets onto Sky or yeah. you know whatever. It's definitely worth a watch. And it's, it's not you know, nowhere near as bad as people have No, made it. I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as what the reviews no, are getting. And, and I, it, I thought it looked alright as yeah. well, to be honest. I mean, I, did, I did, didn't think it would have these references to other sci-fi films. I picked up sort of three or four, um, which was, you know, which was quite a nice touch, but I didn't think it'd be the kind of film that done that kind of thing. But, I mean, if you're going to the cinema with a group of friends, um, or you've got to take a date to the cinema, Heaven forbid one of our listeners should ever be in that situation. Oh, I can't imagine yeah. that. There's, there's certainly there's certainly a lot worse ways to spend an hour and a half of your time. Okay, fair enough. I mean, you, you kind of know what you're going to get when, you, you know, the director is a writer and director of Saturday Night Live for a number of years. Yeah. Um, there's Hot Rod, I think he, he did as well, didn't he, which I thought was quite funny, actually. Um, yeah. If, if any of you have seen it. I've not seen Hot Rod, no. I think I think in Ted and the Dictator, the other two comedies we've reviewed for this podcast, there's something to put it up against. The big laughs in those two films are bigger than the ones in The Watch, but The Watch is consistently funnier throughout the whole film than those two. Oh, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, and it's got Doug Jones in, who is um, the form from Pan's Labyrinth, so I might just watch it just for that. <laughs> Didn't know that, actually. How cool. So... He's in, like, pretty much everything. He turns up, like, in all sorts of rubbish films. <laughs> he was um, that weird uh, fish thing in Hellboy as well. What's <laughs> um, he called? Um... Oh, God. The, the football super-intelligent character in Hellboy. The other yeah. creature. I can't remember the name now. Uh, Ape Sapien. Is that his name? Ape Sapien? Yes, it is. It is. Anyway, James, other than Avengers Assemble, what have you been watching? Um, Well, yeah, I I have only watched Avengers Assemble today. uh, But earlier this week, I watched um, Stanley Kubrick's 1956 film, The Killing. um, Basically inspired by the Kubrick conversation we had last week obviously Owen reviewed Barry Lyndon and then we talked about Kubrick films uh, both Owen and Jerry said I have to watch Paths of Glory couldn't find it anywhere in town um, so I'm going to get it sent out to me um, but I did find The Killing now uh, it, Killing is IMDB top 250 so it's ticked off another one for me there um, you, you'd think really that a Stanley Kubrick film uh very non-linear, fractured narrative. It's about a heist, film noir. It's got a great fight scene. You'd think that would be my kind of film, wouldn't you? And it is! Ha-ha! The Simon Cowell fake out on it. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, basically, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I was a bit unsure when it first started because the beginning bit has got this uh, voiceover, which sounds like a 1960s Batman episode. And I was like, oh, what? This, it felt horribly dated. And the music in the background is going, da 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 It's like the music's going, oh, fucking hell, what's happening? Ah, kind of thing. It's really frantic. It really put me off. Um, but it settles down very quickly. And I found out uh, that the voiceover, it is very much like a news reporter going, um, 7.35, so-and-so went to this. It's really like, very specific like that. Um, the, the studio made Kubrick have a voiceover for the film. They, because of the um, the non linear narrative, they were worried that people wouldn't get it, so they made him have a voiceover. So, because Kubrick hated the fact that the studio had interfered, he just made uh, the narrator unreliable. So, you cannot actually trust anything this narrator is saying, which just adds another level of annoyance. Um, and brilliance in the film. It's classic Kubrick alienating the audience just as he wants to, kind of thing. The plot itself is um, uh, Johnny Clay gets out of prison. Johnny Clay is played by Sterling Hayden, um, and he's got a really complex heist, a racetrack plan, still $2 million, plans to share it between five men who will have a very small, very specific, and very important role to play in the heist. Um, however, one of the men, who is a massively henpecked husband, let's slip to his wife because basically she's massively out of his league and so he tells her he's going to be rich because she keeps threatening to leave and things like that and then she finds out it's because of this heist and um, she's one of the ultimate femme fatales I've ever seen uh, she's called Sherry and she played by Marie Windsor um, she is uh, to use the vernacular of the internet and uh the football 3654 that I frequent and where this kind of got born. She is one of the ultimate snake with tits I've ever seen committed to film ever. She's an absolute bitch and she's constantly letting um, poor George Beatty know that he isn't good enough for her, that she's never had a real man in her life. All this time she's got a boyfriend on the side who she lets in on her plan, not just to steal George's share of the two million, but to steal the whole two million itself. And that's when the film kind of kicks up a notch middle section of the film is the heist and it's a love beautifully shot heist um and it, it reminds basically you can see the influence of this film in films like the usual suspects in films like oceans 11 um both versions of it um the heist films that came after this have all stolen from this film it's really really wonderfully shot it builds up tension just like a hitchcock film fantastic um and it's this be- it, and the thing is it's not just a heist it is a collection of what if you watch them separately they could be um perfect little film vignettes themselves uh, um each little character basically has a short film 
about their role in the heist, and then they're stitched together. Uh, there's also a great scene where this big Russian guy just gets topless and has a massive fight in the bar, and it takes about 20 policemen to drag him off, which is just a great scene in itself. Uh, and the final third of the film is basically the aftermath of the heist, very, very Hitchcock, um, and you can tell that Kubrick borrowed a lot from Hitchcock there, but in a not in a not in a rip-off way, more in in the way Tarantino borrows. He borrows it, but does it well, and you you don't mind really. So overall, it, I think it's a really good example of fifties moral. I've been watching a few of these quite recently, and I've been really yeah, Touch of Evil a few weeks ago, um, Cape Fear, which was actually early sixties. But I, it's a era of film I haven't really delved into much. And it's great to see that these films are actually quite dark and violent and not at all the kind of 50s, 60s cinema I, I thought existed. Um, the other thing is, it's a really interesting insight into the early career of Stanley Kubrick as well, because it was off the back of this film that, um, is it Gregory Peck in Paths of Glory, Jerry? Um, or is it, no, it's, um, it's, it's Thingy who ended up being in Spartacus as well, isn't it? Um. Oh, you put me on the spot here. I know I have. I've got to put you on the spot. I can't remember. It's Whichever uh, brilliant Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas, yeah. Kirk Douglas, yeah. Basically, Kirk Douglas got Stanley Kubrick for Paths of Glory because he'd seen this film. Um, and this film really did launch Kubrick. Like all films. I've seen, whenever you hear like a great film from a long time ago being in the IMDb Top 250, almost every single time it was a flop in the cinema at the time. It's like... 1950s, 1960s audiences were morons, and they just didn't go and see the films that we now see as being fantastic films. It's really weird. But this uh, flopped on release, but uh, people liked it enough. The influence makers liked it enough to help give Stanley Kubrick a career, and thank God they did. Silence. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I literally put Steve to sleep. Not quite, no. Uh, <laughs> most weeks, but not this week. Oh, right. Oh, fair enough. Um, Shall we go on to Avengers Assemble Blu-ray? Yeah, our little mini-review, yes. Yeah. I mean, we've obviously reviewed the film before, and I expect everyone listening has seen it so they know exactly what happens. Yes. Um, But how does it stand up to you on second watching? Because obviously some films are a brilliant the first time you watch them, or rubbish the first time you watch them, and then the second time round you get a different impression on it. Yeah, so, uh, I actually I thought I didn't. I thought I wouldn't like it as much as I did the first time because the first time it was a late night, uh, first night showing. Uh, I went with a couple of mates. I was excited. It was very near the beginning of the podcast. I was all excited about film, film review and stuff like that. And I thought, okay, I'm watching it on my own on Sunday morning. Um, at home, but it's it stands up for me. Um, I I, I now feel like I, it's confirmed it. I've now seen this and The Dark Knight Rises twice, and I think I prefer this to The Dark Knight Rises. That's um, funny. But <laughs> you know, you know, I'm a big fan of The Dark Knight Rises. I'm one of the people who has been standing up for it against some people who reckon it's the worst film ever made ridiculous hyperbole there um, but what really got me this time around is I, I think I missed some lines in the cinema with people who were laughing and I, there's some there's just so many great lines in fact I'd, I'd say this is one of my top three funniest films of the year and the fact that it's not comedy um, there, there is some of the lines in this are genuine world class comedy lines but it's backed up with some brilliant action as well such um, as it give, us some, give it, us some examples um, I, um, my again, my, my one of my favourite lines, and it was the first time, was um when the Avengers are up in the their big sky thing, uh, and they're talking about what they're going to do with Loki and how they're going to bring him to justice, uh, and Thor's going, oh, I'm going to take him back. He's my, you can't talk about him like that. He's my brother. And then one of them goes, he's killed eighty people in the last two days. And he just goes, he's adopted. Uh, and it's just the way he delivers that line is genuinely brilliant it's fantastic comic timing i still think um chris hemsworth thor is is a comic creation in itself 
I, I don't think he's a serious action. He is absolutely hilarious. Just his um, mannerisms, the way he talks. his own film? Pardon, I haven't. This is the thing. I've never seen Thor because I know that directed by Richard Brand. Is, is Thor any good? And is he, is he different in Thor than he is in Avengers? Pardon? Directed by who? Sorry. Kenneth Branagh. Did I say Richard Branagh? I'm going You're not doing well tonight, are you? Well, I would just start tonight. Hello. There isn't even a Richard Branagh, is there? Well, there probably is in the world somewhere. But yeah, is he different in that film? Richard Branagh, if you're listening, email in. Have you ever made a yeah. film? Yeah, it's just got an name drop. It's well played, mate. He is sort of similar. Yeah, he's kind of semi serious, semi joking. And they make a lot out of sort of his very. Uh, formal medieval way of speaking as well there's a lot of sort of little quips and jokes and quirkiness made out of that yeah it's a similar vein I think it's perfected in the Avengers actually I think they they sort of improved on it and polished it a bit it definitely holds up on second viewing um, but it is two and a half hours long and there were a few points towards the middle where I did start to feel that a bit but in general it still stands up it's still really enjoyable I I, I felt it zipped by for me honestly I, I, I felt it 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 might have been because I was watching it sort of longer than Prometheus, for example. It might Prometheus have, was two hours dead. It might have just been because I was watching it late at night and I was starting Possibly. to get a bit tired. And if this. you've seen a film a second time, sometimes because mm. you know what's happening, you've lost a bit of that element of surprise. It can but, drag uh, you. You can be waiting for a good bit. That might have. Yeah, the Hulk steals the show. Still though. Yeah, the Hulk is still fantastic. Yeah. And 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 again, you know, just there's a couple of he's got the two best physical comedy moments mm. in it. Um, uh, interestingly, though, I found this quite interesting. Two, I've spoke to two people on Twitter. Um, they won't mind me uh, name-checking them. At James Seddon was one of them, and at Dan Orton was another one. They've both watched it for the first time this weekend. Yeah. And their complaint, and also James Seddon's wife, uh, at Holly Seddon as well, they basically said um, there was too much talking in it, not enough action. And... Uh, Dan or- at Dan Orton was the same as well. He said there, there just was there was too much talking going on, which I love because I love Joss Whedon's script. I didn't think it was that bad because I think the dialogue was quite good between the characters for the most exactly. for the most part, um, especially the scene with um, Tony Stark and Loki in the top. You know, in his yeah, obviously Tony in his Stark tower. is yeah. great with uh, in terms of dialogue and things like that. Yeah. But no, I think. Um, they, they, one of the things they said was um, too much talking, not enough Hulk smash. And in fact, out Holly said and said, and it did make me laugh. I just said, if I wanted dialogue, I would have read a book. But that, <laughs> that was her thoughts on it. And I can see she'll be off the seat taken too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can see that point. I can see why some people wouldn't like Avengers or or not think it's the superhero film that they're used to. Because I think it is, it's interesting because it's a grown-up superhero film, mm. but not grown-up in the way that Dark Knight Rises. No, it, it's more fun than uh, Dark Knight. It, it's, it's more it, fun it's than the Dark Knight or any of the new of the Nolan Batman films, which obviously they're fun to yeah. watch. But you know what I mean? They're more fun. Yeah. Um, it's not playful, I think. Yeah, yeah. You can be grown up without being super serious, and mm. I think that's what it does. It is a, it's a superhero film for twenty-somethings. I know I'm thirty odd, but. Uh, uh, yeah, late teen. It's not a superhero film necessarily for twelve-year-olds or mm. for people who just want to see Hulk smash stuff up. Just, just watch the last hour if that's what you want. Um, and apparently, um, Hulk's next solo movie has been put back until after Avengers Two, which is a bit of a shame because I liked Mark Ruffalo uh, uh, as Hulk. So that, that's a bit of a shame. Um, uh, what do you think of the special features? Um, gag reel a bit short, deleted scenes pretty decent, um, and and there's a really nice short film actually called um, One Shot Item Forty Seven, which is just uh, quite a nice little short film, which is is worth the bl- getting the Blu-ray for. Yeah. I think it's basically quick outline is um, one of the guns from the aliens invading is picked up by a couple who manage to get it working and start robbing banks and are chased down by Shield. Uh, it's short, but it's good fun and worth watching. Yeah. Um, best head on to the main review then. Paranorman. I didn't manage to see it. James, do you want to introduce the film for us and then we'll review it? 
Yes, so it's uh, it's an animation uh, available in 2D, 3D, and it is about uh, a young boy called Norman who can see dead people all the time. Uh, 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 and he, he loves zombie films. He loves horror films. And basically, one Halloween uh, night, his small American town comes under threat from a 300-year-old witch's curse, and he's the only one who can save them. That's about it. It's got some people in it. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it does. <laughs> most fil- most films do. Uh, I've got it. Actually, I've got the people in it in my tick list of people who were good in this film. Actually, uh, Anna Kendrick's is in it. John Goodman's in it. Um, Cody something McPhee, uh, the kid from Hugo's in it. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm as prepared as ever. Casey Affleck. Oh, Casey Affleck is very good in it as well, yeah. Christopher Mintz Plus plays not a geek, actually. He plays more of a bullying character in this one, which I thought yeah. was an interesting casting decision, actually. I thought that was yeah. quite... It worked. But it it worked, I suppose, because you, you can make him look... At least you can make him look like a bully rather than the slight geek that he is in real life, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Um, there was Jeff Garlin, who's Jeff off Curve uh, Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. If uh, any of you have followers of that fight, yeah. uh, he was really good. Uh, John Goodman was in it as well. Yeah, John he Goodman was, was very good. He had a nice little turn. Um, I'm trying to think of anybody else. I was I was going through it thinking, who's that? Who's that? Um, yeah. It was. I really liked it. I mean, you can tell. I think uh, the direct the guy who wrote it. Um, he, this is his first. You know, the first film he's written and the first film he's directed co-directed with a guy called sorry he's called Chris Butler co-directed with a guy called Sam Fell who did um, Flushed Away I think was his big right. and he also did The Tale of Despero which I've never seen but you can sort of tell it's that kind of you know similar to Ardman, um that kind of humour and quirkiness and I think as well Chris Butler worked um, on Corpse Bride and Coraline so yes he did yeah yeah you can. There is a sort of similarity with, with those films, I think, particularly, which I happen to like. You know, I like Flushed Away, I like Coraline, I like Corpse Bride, and it's it's definitely following that tradition, isn't it? Of sort of slightly alternative, um, not anime yeah. because this is stop motion, but you know that kind of kids film. Yeah, it reminded me of Coraline, not 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 in the not necessarily completely in the visual style, but in the fact that. It was very much a no. It was knowingly animation. It wasn't yeah. trying to look realistic, um, and also it well, has at the same that, time, I thought that it made such an immersive, completely brilliant world. Exactly. Yeah. Fast, just the thought of how long it must have taken them to to make this. You know, all the sets were so intricate, so detailed. You know, like his room was covered in posters, little posters, and. Yeah. There were sorts of little touches, and, and the world, the, the town, it's all set within one town. It was so utterly believable. And you're right, actually, I think Aardman is quite a good comparison here, because, again, Aardman animations never look realistic, but there's so much detail and care and attention put into the sets and the characters that, like you say, you do get drawn in. You don't care that they don't actually look like people, uh, and that the cars are a weird shape and stuff like that. You're right, you don't care because you're drawn into the story because it looks fantastic and because it's got a lot of charm. And this film really did have a lot of charm, I thought. I went to see the 2D version. Um, yeah, same. Uh, I know Owen saw the 3D and Owen sent us a few notes and one of them is he said the 3D was pointless. It was. He said it was quite sharp in terms of 3D, um, but apart from that, completely pointless. It's quite interesting because I know it was shot on a, a Canon SD Mark, uh, Canon 5D Mark II, which is which is quite a low budget camera, really. The kind of camera that amateur filmmakers make, and they did the 3D using a special rig on that. And it does seem a little bit like the 3D's been tacked on by the studio, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, the, there was so many great little visual jokes. One of my favourite ones was quite near the beginning. Basically, Norman's walking on his way to school and he's seeing all these dead people and talking to them. They clearly see him every day. And a bird flies past uh, and it's a dead bird with its kind of neck caught in one of those um, six-pack of cans wrinkled, uh, the plastic ring things. It was just this, it was little touches like that um, all the way through. 
Um, I think it was very funny. Uh, not funny all the time, but it, it was definitely, there were some really good jokes in there. There were some yeah, great references. I was, I was laughing a lot through it, actually. Yeah. And there was a few times, yeah, again, Sorry, Jerry. For, for a kid's film, that's a real achievement. You know, you want to be able to entertain the kids, but also have the parents laughing. I think that this is one of those films that definitely, definitely did that. I was laughing a lot to this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, uh, some of the references were great. At one point, yeah, I'm not really spoiling anything here. There's a really great play on zombies besieging a building. Um, and, you know, they play it completely differently. Uh, and you think, oh, yeah, no, I've seen this in zombie films, but look what they've done with it, and it's nice and it's different. Um, and it clearly loves zombie films and kind of like hammer horror films and things like that. There's, there's a real affection for the type of film that it's kind of also slightly taking the mickey out of, uh, and that's great. And I wrote at the time um, that I thought it would be too scary at times for younger kids. But then I thought, actually, kids are far more resilient in terms of, like, spookiness like this than I think we give them credit for sometimes. Um, there were some scenes of mild peril. Yeah. And the, and the, the, just mild peril. Kind of, just yeah, mild it's peril. our favourite description, isn't it, from the BBFC? Yeah, the mild peril, yeah. Mild peril. Um, but the scene where the, the kind of witch transforms, and, like, that was genuinely terrifying. Even I was a bit had the willies put up me there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it, it was, a, I think it was a really good family film actually. Um, but I also just enjoyed it on its own merits as a 32 year old man who likes horror films. I liked it as part of that canon, as part of that world where we can reference horror films and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I just I think it was just an enjoyable film, similar to Coraline in a way. And I know it's the same production, Life Entertainment, the same production company that made Coraline. Um, and they also made the Cops Prior, I think. But it, it stands on its own. I don't think, if, you know, if you go into this wanting to compare it to Coraline, don't do not do that. It's, it's a different kind of film. Yeah. It's a lot more sort of, uh, sort of nods to adults and, and a lot more funny in that way I think this film is a lot more similar to Pixar films particularly old Pixar films where you yeah. manage to pitch it at both audiences really well I mean I was yeah. going to say how, how does it stand up to other kids films um, maybe ones that have been released this year like Brave that we've seen or just sort of Pixar slash DreamWorks films in general visually you see I think I actually like the visual style is better than Brave and I know this isn't um, a CGI film, obviously there's a, a fair bit of CGI used thrown into it, but it's, 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 you know, this is one of those where they've got a tiny little model and they yeah. take a picture of it and move it a millimetre and take another picture of it. And if you see, um, there's a great YouTube um, video being released by the production company before it, it came out, which showed that they literally have thousands of little faces for each of the characters to do the yeah. facial expressions and give them enough detail. Um, and I thought visually, it was it was really lovingly made. The whole thing felt like they took a lot of care, and they really wanted to make this this town believable and whole and, and real. And they, the characters looked really good. There was lots of little quirks in them. Um, you know, they played up to some stereotypes and then played with them a little bit. Yeah, uh, there was some caricaturish, like you know, Casey Affleck's character is is a caricaturish kind of jock. Yeah, some, there was some really good humour made of that. I really liked the deltoids joke. That wanted to spoil yeah. it. That was yeah. fantastic. Um, I mean, I suppose... Owen, Owen in his notes said he really liked the bit where he kicked the zombie's head. Because um, Owen said, Owen also said, very funny in places, not funny all the time, but I laughed. Uh, I laughed out loud occasionally. And he said the vending machine bit, which was a lovely joke as well. That's, that's, um, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I suppose if you're doing stop motion films, you're actually involved in the creation of them. You've got to love what you're doing because it so, takes so long. I remember hearing, you know, interviews with the people who made Wallace and Gromit, and when, when you probably haven't filmed two minutes of the total film, and you've moved the same character about five hundred times, mm. if you don't love it, as part of you thinking we could just do, you know, a, you know, a Pixar style thing we here, could just and get a computer, yeah, to do all this we course, could just yeah. do it on that a computer and not even. Really, really difficult yeah. to make. You know, there's one. There's there's probably thirty to fifty people on the on yeah. street level 
moving. Mm. I mean, I'd equate it to like reading a book and then thinking there's a film out of this instead. <laughs> yeah. Um, what it has done, because I'll be honest, I wasn't hugely like excited about watching this. I kind of went to the cinema with a right. I need to get this done type vibe, and that's not. And the the fact that I came out smiling. Is, is huge credit to this film because I wasn't in the best frame of mind to watch it and it still charmed me and that's great. And it has actually made me think, I'm going to check out the uh, the, the Pirates uh, and Adventure with Scientists now because I've not seen that this year either. Well, that does and, look quite good though, but I've, yeah, and I've heard good things about it. Good, but not... yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not usually a massive stop motion kind of family film fan. Uh, it's just something that doesn't set the Muppets. A lot of Ardman, uh, not stop motion. There, you see, our Muppets <laughs> different, different kettle of fish. Um, Ardman stuff in uh, it probably sacrilegious. Wallace and Gromit doesn't really do it for me. Uh, it's, I have to admit, I, I, I have a particular fondness for for that kind of filming, that kind of filming. Yeah. So I mean, I went into it sort of. I wasn't particularly enthused about what I'd seen from the trailer, but knowing that it was stop motion, I thought, well. You know, it's usually quite good, and I like the kind of film, and I just have so yeah. much respect for the process that I'll, I'll watch it anyway. But yeah, I came out with beaming. You know, I was really happy. Yeah, but I, I yeah, and I went to completely expectations, and still came out really happy. So I, I think that's as, as good a review as we can give it, really. Mm. Uh, so next week we are reviewing what, James? Ah, uh, we are reviewing kind of brain melting, time travelly awesomeness of it hopefully uh, that is Looper with uh, our man JGL and Bruce Willis and Emily Blunt with a shotgun very excited spoiler alert Joseph Gordon-Levitt does not look a little bit like me in this because they've done him up to like Bruce Willis and it oh, looks amazing uh, lo- yeah it's, the, the amount of effort they put into making him look like Bruce Willis is scary to be honest but yeah I'm I'm, oh, I'm so excited about this film and this this is not the last film out of the nine films that the three of us chose for our summer preview uh, as well. So uh, on, obviously on the next episode, we'll, we'll have a little chat about that as well. Yes, Triple Bill is up next and it will be the film we're looking forward to seeing over the winter, post Skyfall, essentially. And Owen won't be joining us then because he'll still be ill because it's still Sunday night for us. Oh, you've ever been in the match yet. Yeah. <laughs> but we've got his choices for you so we can read them out. And, um, yeah. Yes. Thanks to you for listening. Um, James, have you got to tell them where they can find the website? Yes, you can find um, not only the podcast, but we've got some very good blog pieces up this week, actually. I've been really, really happy with that. Um, so some brilliant writing that's been up this week. It's all on failedcritics.com. Um, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritic or you can follow us on Twitter I say all, do it all um, at at failedcritics Yes, thanks for listening Uh, thanks to James and Jerry and thanks to Kevin McLeod of incompetech.com for doing the music (laughs) 